0: So the unlearning process starts with history, history of yourself, history of your culture, your heritage, all the way back. And we don't know everything. We are not going to always have all the answers. But I am of the belief that if there's something in the history that has been traumatic, that has been negative, I have to find a way to make it mean something positive for me. I can't be held to that shackle in the past anymore. I have to be able to find a way to make that experience mean something for me so that I can move forward.
1: I just have no time for Hello, everyone. My name is Walton. I'm the host of Boss Locks, a show where we are redefining professionalism, elevating Black voices, improving... That natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, today I have the honor and privilege of speaking with Monique Russell. Monique, how are you doing today?
0: I am doing fantastic. Thank you, Walter, for having me.
1: Oh yes, I'm. I'm really excited to have you on. And um, for those who don't know, Monique is a communication specialist who helps individuals and teams learn how to improve their communication skills and turn things like likes to loves in there business and life and she's worked with all sorts of types of groups and companies such as the cdc equifax verizon and many more but she's also the host of a new show called bridge to you it's a podcast all about connecting through understanding and unity so when you have a lot of questions for you but to start out i would like to know uh, what are the three things that most people don't know about you
0: so, three things most people don't know is one, it's been officially over two years that I stopped drinking coffee. Woohoo! Oh. I am so excited because it took me a long time start, stop, start, stop, but it's actually been two whole years now and I am not going back. And then the other thing is that I, I spend at least two hours every day um, for myself journaling, reading, just sitting outside or sunbathing, um, just kind of getting thinking, you know, getting my head clear on things that I want to do and making sure that I'm in a a good space energetically to serve my family and then serve my clients. So every day that is crucial, crucial, crucial for me to stay in balance. Um, And then the third thing is... I I left the islands of the Bahamas at seventeen, and I went off to school and I got my undergrad, my two graduate degrees, and my first baby all within five years.
1: What? So, yes. yes, yes, sir. Yes, sir. You two de- your undergrad degree, two graduate degrees, had a child all within five years. That's right. That's impressive. Congratulations. Well, thank you. Wow, very nice. How old is your um? Is a son or a daughter?
0: My son, he is nineteen. He's actually graduating from college with his bachelor's
1: degree in December of this year. So. And he's nineteen. I was about to say, is there any pressure to get it done in five years? No, like he, yeah. already so he already
0: beat me to it. He started at fifteen, and you know, he's just been doing his own thing. So. Yeah, that's pretty
1: amazing. Okay. So, um, you know, so when I was in high school, I got the opportunity to take some dual credit classes. Um, and that helped to basically, while I was taking classes for high school accounting towards college credits, um, definitely did not end up getting me done sooner, but like that's because I ended up taking some more classes. But um, is that something that you and I guess your son did?
0: So. Sort of, but not really. So the dual pr- enrollment program is just like what you said. You take some classes, it counts towards your college degree. But what he ended up doing was he went he went on campus. There was, I think, three or four programs like this in the U.S. where it would um, it was a residential program where you could go on campus and you would start doing your um Associates degree, like you have, you spend your eleventh and twelfth grade year on campus, and then your associates degree. Since it's higher than your college degree, it's it. Um, your associates degree is higher than your high school degree, so then it counts twice, right? So it's it, it's in partnership with the the high school and the college, but the program itself was designed specifically for um, high school students who. Who were who were kind of born or wanted to get ahead and, and he was one of those so the program had 50 11th and 12th grade students from all throughout the state they stayed on campus they had a residential hall they had their own um, RAs their own directors and everything but they would go to school with all of the regular college students
1: Wow that's pretty cool yeah.
0: Yeah. So that was that was the path that he took. I had to get him out of the house early because, look, I was like a hawk on him. So he needed to spread his wings. (laughs) He he needed to get get away from me. He needed to spread (laughs) his wings and he needed to, you know, find and discover himself, which which it turned out to be good for him and turned out to be good for us. And then my youngest one. You know, when you're growing up in the shadow of your older brother, uh, it's it's tough. You know, it's hard for you to find your own space. So we feel that it was a good decision and it worked out for us.
1: Nice. That's pretty cool. So I know like, well, I don't know personally, but from what I hear, being a parent, having your kid go after school is pretty tough. You know, you have to kind of let go and let them do their own thing. But usually people experience that when their kid is 18. So for you, what was that like having your um, child go into that type of program at like a much younger age?
0: Well, um, I'll tell you, it was actually wonderful because what we ended up doing is we, we found summer programs. You know, mm-hmm. prior to so we, there would be summer programs on different college campuses, and he would you know go for like two weeks or three weeks. The very, very first time he was away from me was when he did a program at Howard University, um, a computer and and math, computer science and math program. And that was six weeks on campus in an entirely different state. Uh, But I had family that lived there and that was not too far from there. And so that was the first time. And I was just kind of like really like, oh, my goodness. Oh, my goodness. What am I going to do? But he 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 did very well there. It was his first time, um, and then when we started to plan for him to go for his eleventh and twelfth grade, I actually felt really comfortable because in my mind it was almost like testing testing before you before you buy. You know, you had an entire program set up, an entire executive director, a school counselor. Um, programs set up for this group of 50 students on the college campus. So it's like, okay, you get to go and see how you could handle this situation away from home, sort of test it out. And, you know, when it's time for you to really fully integrate, we, we have an idea of, you know, how you could manage or maneuver as opposed to, you know, finishing high school, sending you off, and then ain't nobody you could call, okay? You send them off to, to college, they're on their own 100%. There's nobody that you can call, no director saying, hey, you know, what's going on? They had curfew. I mean, you, you really couldn't get better than that. So I felt really pleased about the whole experience. And to be honest, a lot of students, you know, you can see they struggle in programs like that, because either one, they are um, single, uh, the only child, and so having to share a room with someone else was a different you know, experience, or they were used to being guided, pretty much micromanaged every second, so when they now had the freedom, they would stay up till two, three and not go to class. So these are smart, high-performing students who now had their wings spread a little bit. um, And and then they had to figure out how how are they going to use their newfound freedom. And then you had some students who just got into the wrong thing and they either didn't finish the program or it was too stressful or overwhelming, or they got into the wrong crowd or whatever have you. So I still feel like have them that experience where you're able to go and test it out. You just you want to see how your child is going to perform it in a sort of semi-protected environment without you. So for me, I think it worked well.
1: Nice, yeah, that's pretty awesome. Um, yeah, for all those reasons, like even when people don't necessarily make it through quote unquote successful, I think that's a great learning opportunities i know um when i was in college there's a lot of people who change majors and that's that's fine it's always great when you realize okay what i'm doing i don't really care for but that's like you're already in the program already spent money doing it so if you could learn that even younger like when you go into school or whatever you decide to do afterwards you're just already like high in focus you know what you want to do like i remember i think when i was in high school yeah i wanted to be an architect and my mom, she had a school and one of the parents was an architect in Charleston at a really nice firm. So um, I got to shadow him for a week. And I quickly learned that, yeah, this is actually is really cool, but it's
0: not, not for you.
1: I do <laughs> not want to do it. Wanted <laughs> to study math a lot. Math was definitely my worst subject in school at that time. So, um, yeah, that was not for me. But it was really cool because I got to learn all the different pieces, like the people who um, um, build the blueprint, designing the like the interior design and everything and also got to sit in on an interview. I remember at the end of the interview, uh the guy turned to me like, Well, do you have any questions for him? I was like, uh no, no, I, I think you got it. <laughs> 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 so cool. I really got to see everything. And it sounds like, you know, that program's like another example of it. To be able to um put you in something where you actually are learning and advancing, but you kinda get to test the waters out, like you said.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I think it's great. You want you want the kids to fail fast. You want them to fail fast and fail when they are close to you as opposed to going way off and failing and, mm-hmm. and have no support through that failing process. So that's that's, right. that's how I feel. Expose them to as many things as possible. You can only learn from it. So that's my viewpoint.
1: True. I like that. I like that. And speaking of like failures and lessons learned, um, I think like, so this year has been just insane in every way possible. Um, And I think we've been looking at like a lot of L's, but I've also seen a lot of people who really found growth, like including myself, like this launched because 2020 messed some things up and I just realized, okay, let me just go ahead and launch it. So um, I'm wondering in your life this year, what have been some wins and lessons learned?
0: Um, mm. so I feel like 2020 has just accelerated so much, accelerated so much in so many different areas. So big wins for me. I'm a huge family girl, family, family person. So having everybody at home Um, was a win. And we were able to do a lot more things together as a family, you know, have more frequent family dinners, more frequent family movies, games, um, conversations, just sharing. That was a huge win for me. And then as far as like professionally, I mean, I have done virtual work coaching for, for a while but as far as the training, the in-person training and the in-person speaking, I pretty much would, would do most of that. And a lot of my, my appointments got postponed or canceled. But with that whole experience, for me, I still feel like, wow, this was uh, an awakening Um, I had one of my conferences that I have in person that I typically would never have thought to have it online. And I actually wasn't even going to do it, but I decided to do it anyway. And it was a great success. It was a huge success. I was able to actually have people from five countries there, you know, Australia, Kenya, Grenada, the Bahamas and the U.S., So it really helped to fulfill and realize my dream of having these type of global events. And on top of that, you know, this year, I had at least five workshops that were global. Um, The international audience was present and it created a much more uh, rich, rewarding and networking experience. And I had that, you know, I've had that, that's on my goal list forever. I really wanted to focus more on doing global work. So for me in that area, 2020, the the wave of change, I decided that I wanted to ride that wave and not let the wave crash on me. And so those were the things that accelerated a lot of my goals and personally and professionally. The other thing is that at the beginning I started to do a lot more exercise, you know, walking a lot more, doing a lot more exercise. And don't ask me if I'm still at the same pace where I started because this COVID-19 pounds is real. Okay. (laughs) This COVID-19 pounds is real, but I did more walking, um, you know, just being more mindful, definitely a lot more uh, reflecting and pruning like, Radical pruning, you know, of of people, of projects, of places and things in my life. So I feel like 2020 has really helped to shift some perspective. It helped me to launch my podcast, Bridge to You. Oh, my goodness. I would have never, ever thought of doing that. People would always say, oh, you need to launch a podcast. You need to launch a podcast. You need to launch a podcast. You need to do a TED Talk. No. Why? I don't feel like it. I don't want to. I want to be a guest. I don't want to be the host. But this helped me to connect with a mission that's greater than me. Um, And that's the driving force behind it. So that helped to just push out another baby inside of me. And it feels really good when you have a goal and you have a desire or a vision and you birth it. So, yeah, this for me, um, it's definitely been an acceleration point uh, in the midst of everything. So I, I tend to see myself as an optimist and and that's what i choose to focus my energy on. Uh, with that said, there's obviously been a lot of devastation, but i don't need to talk about it because there's no shortage of people talking about devastation. so i'll i'll leave that for them and i'll focus on the the positives.
1: mhm how, how do you remain optimistic in these times because sometimes it feels like i just a a never ending just flow of just like tragic things from George Floyd to just, just everyone, um, from the cops, murder shootings, um, just everything that's happening in the political area and how these certain laws affect different things in life. Um, just COVID people losing their jobs. Like how, how do you remain optimistic in all of this?
0: so i will say that there definitely are periods especially in the beginning of the whole pandemic where it felt really really heavy and i mean heavy it just was like wow there's just so much going on um my clients some of them have lost family members uh, from covid just 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 a lot just a lot going on as you have already shared for me when i think about remaining positive and optimistic, I have a connection within myself and an understanding within myself that there's only so much I can do. And what I can control is my thought process. What I can control is what I choose to let enter into my mind. I don't really watch and consume a lot of things that will shift my energy to be negative. And that is definitely by choice. I told you, like, every day I spend at least two hours a day, either journaling, putting some positive stuff in my mind, reading, spending time in nature. That's part of my, my daily process. And, I mean, it works, you know, sitting in, sitting in the sun. That gives you some, some really good feelings, get your endorphins going, you know, looking at nature, spending time in nature, processing your emotions, processing the things that you feel. I definitely increased my sessions weekly in the beginning of this pandemic with my therapist, which was so amazing because there was just so much coming all at once. And I feel like in order to remain optimistic and positive in the situation, you have to choose what you're going to focus on. It's not like you're putting your head in the sand, but you're not staying in a place where if all you're consuming is all the negative things that are happening. I mean, what do you expect? You have no no choice but to feel like crap all the time because you're putting that stuff in there. You, you have to block it off. It's okay. It's okay to block it off and make sure that you choose things that will feed your soul, things that will, you know, help you feel inspired and, and grateful and joyful about all things black and beautiful, black joy, black art, black culture, black movies. Um, learn about the continent of Africa. Look at the positive things on YouTube about Africa. You know, these are things that will help you regulate and balance your your emotions, so that you're not at the mercy of what's going on around you in your environment. Being able to have emotional intelligence and manage your emotions is not the absence of chaos around you it's being able to maintain focus and see see like see through the darkness see through the chaos because the chaos is always going to be there but if you stay looking to the left and the right at the chaos then you're going to be at the mercy of the chaos
1: i love that that's wonderful so beautifully put as well yeah hmm very interesting yeah I think um I can definitely see how that spending two hours to yourself helps with that I know I definitely have been just realized I've had to just pull away from social media and sometimes you feel like you have to be in it so you can comment on it and speak on it but I mean earlier you did mention you know there's a lot of people already speaking on it so that like you feel like You don't really need to because there is enough people putting that energy force to pushing that change so that doesn't necessarily have to be like your priority in um, approaching all of these things. Does that sound about right?
0: Yeah, I feel like everybody has a part to play in progress. So there are people, everybody has a part to play and every part is valuable, just like the body. Right. You know, you Mm -hmm. got your hand, you got your feet, you got your eyes, every part, every part is valuable and every part has a different purpose or function. Some of us will be in the street protesting, some of us will be focusing on change in the narrative, creating positive outlets. Some of us will be focusing on meditation and healing and wellness. Some of us will be focused on poetry and art and using those platforms or voices to amplify the movement and make progress. And no one outlet or method is better than the other. So it's all a part of it. And for those that have their voice, the power in their voice right now, um, if they have that power, they should use that power. And if they don't feel like they have that, because nothing is going to be sustainable forever and ever, you you sometimes have to use your voice and then you feel like you need to recharge and you retreat. And then that's when someone else picks up the baton for you. And then they feel, they feel empowered and they use their voice and they continue the conversation. So it's not just a one person, one thing, one way, one method, one delivery um, movement. Everybody has a part to play. You just got to know your own part and be okay with not being pressured or sucked into someone else's part because they feel that the way they're doing it is the only way and it's the right way. You got to see the picture from the whole.
1: Hey, I want to take a quick break to tell you about a Facebook group we've put together called Working While Black. It's the number one group for black professionals, creatives, entrepreneurs, and people in the workforce to connect, learn, and support each other's growth. It's an extension of this very podcast and will be a place to dive deeper into topics discussed on this show, as well as having the opportunity to participate in a live Working While Black series that addresses the black experience in the workplace. Now, if you're feeling this, then you'll want to join immediately because we're naming the first 50 people to join as the founding members who will get special privileges as the group grows. Now you can join today by searching for Boss Locks, Working While Black. And also to just make it real easy on you, if you click the link in the description, it'll take you to our site, we can learn about our guests and everything that they're doing. But also, you'll see really easy instruction on how to join the group. I'm talking about like a click of a button and boom, like you're there. So, you know, it, it's free, it's easy, and it's built to support Black growth. So join today, and I'm looking forward to see you there. Now, thank you very much for listening, and now back to our show. I want to go back to something you mentioned about learning more about Africa. Um, Cause I think that just like with the passing of, um, man, I, I was about to call him T'Challa. <laughs> 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 the passing of Chadwick Boseman. Um, you just go back to thinking about Wakanda or Black Panther and Wakanda and what that movie meant. Cause it wasn't even about just about Black Panther, but it just did so much more to take all like the beauty and, culture from all these different places in Africa to create something special. And um, you mentioned that you spent some time in Nigeria. Um, So I'm wondering from kind of your perspective, like what, or actually let me back up a little bit more. Um, When in your life were you spending time in Nigeria?
0: Well, I'm half Nigerian. So my dad is from Nigeria. My mom's from the Bahamas, even though I grew up in the Bahamas. And when? I mean, I came back in January, (laughs) from a trip this year oh, nice. and I had and I had planned to go back, but hey, COVID COVID stopped <laughs> us so, <laughs> so who knows but I am definitely looking forward to going back and being a service and doing more work and definitely, I think I told one of my friends yesterday, I was like, look out of the 54, 50, 55 countries in Africa my next goal is to at least visit half." Right, So I want to be able to visit at least half of the countries um, because they all have their own rich beauty. And you have to understand that what you see in the media is not the true reflection of what the continent is about. In fact, there is a, um, there's a YouTuber, a really uh, famous YouTuber, uh, Wode Maya. Uh, you can check him out on YouTube and you'll get to see a glimpse of some of the, the beauty in the other countries in Africa, so it's inspiring. Um, you'll 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 be i i your eyes will be opened, um, and you'll be curious.
1: Hmm. Interesting. What were some of the things that you found that you were starting to be curious about? Well, I guess you know we've had that Nigerian influence for a long time, so I think it could be different from you. But um, when you think of like going to Africa and learning and the curiosity, like what are some things that were you felt kind of drawn to well i
0: wouldn't I wouldn't even say so I my first touchdown in Africa was not Nigeria that actually came later oh. but my first touchdown was was when I was in college um, and and actually I ended up when I was doing one of my graduate degrees I was also working as a multicultural student consultant with baby and To. and I ended up um chaperoning a group of students to south africa that was my oh, first man. touchdown in the whole continent south africa and i don't know let me tell you the moment i got there it was like you y'all feel a little bit in shock because you hear like you know you hear all these things about africa and we'd already been prepped or whatever have you to go and then you get there and it's like I'm in Africa, like I'm in Africa. <laughs> so it just felt so grounding and so connected and then just seeing so much development. I mean, even in the village, even in the rural areas, the roads are paved in South, paved in South Africa. You know, of course South Africa people say, okay, that's different, but I just felt so connected. And some of the students that, that were being chaperoned, it was their first time, for, for, for a few of them, first time traveling so far out of their home state. I mean, much less Africa. We were all just kind of newbies there except for two people. Um, and so it was a shock for them as well because they, they felt like, man, we are so standing out you know when you're surrounded by a whole bunch of black people and you're not black you're standing out and i'm like wow like this is eye-opening because where i was in minnesota that's a common experience you know you just kind of get used to it it was a common experience but to see the transformation and the awakening that the students are going through too that was just um It was it was just something I actually talked about that in one of my recent podcasts as well. I talked about that experience, but just being there, um, I was just curious about the culture. I was curious about just how things were, the, the, the quality of life, the way of life. Surely it wasn't them. The starving babies on the TV you see with the flies on the face all the time. You right. it that definitely wasn't like that. Sure, definitely there were places that were um shanty towns. You know, that I did see a lot of that too when we were going about. But when we were in Joburg, Johannesburg, the metropolitan area, it was like almost like downtown Atlanta.
1: Oh wow. That's pretty cool. Yeah, I'm I'm loving all of the um that, just, I guess it's almost like a bridge, really. But just everyone is speaking more about their trips to Africa. We actually get to see it. Um, someone in our one of our earlier episodes of this podcast, he got to speak about his trip to Africa. He, he's been like a couple of times. He went to Kenya and he was there I think earlier this year a couple of times. So. You have to see more and don't have to rely on kind of the narrative that has been spinning for such a long time. And I know me and my girlfriend, we're like planning our trip. I think we're gonna to go to Ghana first.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah, Ghana. yeah, Yes. Okay. Yeah.
1: look <laughs> at that citizenship too. Cause, like, why not? Why not?
0: Why not? Why not? Yeah, hello, why not?
1: Right. They've
0: done a really good job of opening their arms and really embracing the diaspora because. You know, they, they, the year of the return that was coordinated last year, you, you know about that, right? Oh, yes. Yeah. I feel like they have done a phenomenal job just really paving the way, setting the example to open arms, to have open arms for the diaspora. So
1: That's right. Oh, and I guess yeah. for anyone listening who doesn't know, um, the year of return marked, um, was it the 400th year of the slave trade? Yeah, the 400th year of the slave trade. And they were basically like, hey, if you want to come and if you're a descendant from slave trade you know you have open access to citizenship and I know since then I've seen all these different festivals like a Coachella level festival in Ghana I forgot what it's called but man it looked amazing I saw Instagram was just flooded with pictures like what I have to be there that's it
0: that is it okay so that right there is powerful. Because when your narrative changed, when the imagery changes, when the media changes, and you're like, wow, I'm curious about this. Like, I want to go. That's exactly what we have to do as media creators and content creators. Create an alternative. Instead of fighting the old narrative, we create the new narrative.
1: Create the new narrative. I like that. Yeah, exactly right. So, um and that's Another thing that I like about your podcast, A Bridge to You, because you're taking people from these different places and coming together and unifying everyone. And it is almost like you're bringing their perspectives to light to help other people and um, not just like other people, but like everyone kind of understand everyone's uh, point of view and come together to create something new. So um, you mentioned that. Um, this podcast wasn't something you initially wanted to do, we kind of were led into it. So I'm kind of curious to hear a little bit more about kind of what inspired you to start it and the direction that you want to take it.
0: Yeah. So I felt like, so for my own journey of going through, you know, coaching therapy, self-awareness, like positive infusion and just being able to love myself, um, just Really looking at the things in my own history, my own past, and seeing how those behaviors and things, beliefs, the things that I think about things and how I approach things, where they came from and how they influence how I interact and show up in the world, my own personal journey has allowed me to have so much compassion and so much grace and love for humanity, people on the whole. So it's not a place of where um, I I feel connected because, you know, you've made you've made it to the top of your career ladder or you have a write up in Forbes or in fact, I don't I really don't care about any of those. Like I those don't impress me at all, Um, but I do know they are essential for marketing. But because my own journey, because of my own journey, and I see the way that it has allowed me to connect with other people, and then in my work and my coaching work, I see that the outcome and the results of people getting firm and having love for themselves now create a better interpersonal relationship and communication. I felt like I wanted this podcast to be a catalyst or an outlet for people to see Um, The stories, to see and hear the stories of people who have gone through their own transformation because I would often hear, you know, the regurgitated narrative. Black people don't get along. Black people don't support each other. Black people don't get together. Black people don't this. Black people don't that. And I'm like, I know a lot of Black people that don't think like that. And I didn't know a lot of Black people that didn't think like that when I didn't think like that. You know, when I was in that space where I felt like, yeah, black people just don't want to do this. In fact, I had a coach tell me my clients I should work with black women. I was like, ah uh-uh. ah, I ain't working with them. They angry. They mad. They don't want to pay. Da, 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 da. All this foolishness. But as I went through my own process, I started to see things differently. I started to attract those people that my coach was able to say, you know, this is this is the folks that you're going to be working with. So I just wanted to create this, um, this platform for people to share their stories. We're not doing this traditional teaching form where we need to get together. We need to love each other. We need to, we need to, we need to. We're not teaching from a traditional model of what, what needs to be done, but we are teaching and inspiring through the lived stories of these individuals because they thought one way, but something happened. Some awakening happened, something transpired, and they now think a different way in terms of black unity and black love worldwide. So through their stories, the listeners will be curious, just like you were curious about going to Ghana. They'll be curious and they'll be um, interested and excited to learn more about how they could go on their own transformational journey and then allow them to have so much more opportunities and so much deeper and rich connection when they're not having so much division externally. Because that external is just a reflection of the internal. That's the direction that I see the show going. I see it helping to re-educate um, Black people all over. I see it in, in universities and schools. Um, I see it ha- conversations about different episodes happening all over. That's that's the direction that I see it.
1: I love that. I love that. I think, um, in, and I'm glad you shared cause in your own personal story and process of unlearning, because um, part of this show is to and, Power people. It's also to prove to the world that, you know, Black people can coexist in your spaces and our spaces as professionals can be without changing ourselves. But it's also an opportunity for Black people to unlearn things that they've been taught or developed over time. Mm -hmm. And I really liked you sharing your story about initially thinking like, oh, I don't necessarily want to work with Black people. But you realize shortly afterwards, okay, this is actually something kind of internal that you have to work through. And here you are creating spaces for Black people. Um, what is? Can you, can you talk a little bit more about kind of that process of unlearning?
0: So I believe that you have to understand your history. You have to look at yourself as a project. You have to put yourself on the on the operating table, and you have to understand everything about yourself from beginning to end as much as you can. And nine times out of 10, you can't do that on your own. You're going to need somebody who is a facilitated guide, um, a skilled professional to help you make sense of, and you come up with your own meaning of the things that you discover when you like you're on that operating table. I hear a lot of times people say, you know, don't worry about the past, Look luck to the future, forward, 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 forward. But that's a trap. You know, that that is a trap. And it's a trap because if you're always looking forward and you don't have any data about how you operated in the past, you cannot make better decisions in the future. You don't have an understanding or a big picture view of really what direction you're headed and why you feel the, the things you feel and do the things you do. It's almost like you're back backpacking uh, or you're hiking And there's this mountainous valley um, area and, you know, you can go up to the top of a a hill or a mountain and you can kind of look down and see, okay, this path has a, a river that I may need to, you know, cross. But if I go to the left and turn around to the right, I can go across that point without crossing the river. So taking a little higher view and an, an overall view at the top to really see, okay, what, what do I need to know about myself? It'll help you so that when you start hiking, let's say if you don't look at that view, you just start walking. I'm just moving forward. I know I'm. I know the direction that I'm going. I'm moving forward. Now you come to the river and you may have you know your river shoes, but you don't know that there's some crocodiles in there. So you gotta go back, you gotta go back and then find a different path. So you may get there, it's just gonna take you longer Mm -hmm. as opposed to going up to the top of that mountain, taking a a bird's eye view and charting a, a path and a course that's better for you to move forward in the future. So I feel like you have to look back at your past, your genealogy, your history, the patterns, the patterns within your family, the things that pass down generationally so that you can see if you're operating from the default behavior or if your beliefs have been influenced by something that's no longer applicable to you. Maybe you used to think that, you know what, well, Men supposed to just do the work, and women are to do all the cleaning. Maybe you had that belief. Maybe you had that belief, and there's nothing wrong with that. But maybe now, where you are, you're still operating from that belief, but it's no longer serving you. So you look at that. Okay, why did I do? Why did I believe that? Well, because when I was growing up, this was the situation, and it worked out best. But well, mm, that's not really for me right now. I choose to integrate a new belief that will help you now move forward and have a better experience in your relationship, in your connections, in your career, in your life. So the unlearning process starts with history, history of yourself, history of your culture, your heritage, all the way back. And we don't know everything. We are not going to always have all the answers, but I am of the belief that if there's something in the history that has been traumatic, that has been negative, I have to find a way to make it mean something positive for me. I can't be held to that shackle in the past anymore. I have to be able to find a way to make that experience mean something for me so that I can move forward.
1: Interesting. Very beautifully worded. I like that. Do you feel as though, I like what you said about like, we don't know everything. So, um, and I think sometimes when we do have that mindset and sometimes we don't even realize we have it, we approach things we'll start learning about something, but we might not go as far as we need to. And I know I took, I don't know if it was last yeah, last year, last year I took this course about racial equity and by some of these things, these topics are familiar. I think a lot of black people are familiar with discrimination and everything, but they took it back farther and deeper than I, like i never would have thought to take it there. So um, I'm curious, because you briefly mentioned it before, but um, do you think that our process of unlearning and going back history, is it better to do it independently, learning on our own, or follow like a guided process?
0: So it is blended. Um, and just, just from, you know, my mom's a teacher. I come from a long family of teachers, and, and I love teaching. That's part of my gifting, too. And so it's a blended process. There's some things that we're going to learn on our own, and there's some things we're going to learn in community. And I like to look at it sort of like nature. We can see it in, in nature, that when you're growing up, there are certain things that on your own, you know, you, you will learn. You learn on your own, and then you learn as a community. So I feel like the whole unlearning process, there are certain things that you're going to – your experiences are unique to you. So you could be in the same family of, of, of five siblings all growing up in the same household and each having a different experience of what happened in that household. Your experience is unique to you and, and, and it's valid. However you choose to see it is valid. It's unique to you. So you have to go through a process on your own. And then you also need to go to through a process in community because that learning, that that group learning, that whole Um, awakening moment when you find out that someone else has gone through something like you or has faced a challenge or has, you know, charted a course similar to yours, you find connection and you find unity. And our deepest need is to feel and see and be heard and understood and connected.
1: I see that. I like that answer a lot as well. Interesting. Yeah, that's really cool. You know, what's interesting about each answer? Like, I can really see why you are a communication specialist. Like, with every single word, it's almost like you were prepared, like, years ago and picked every single word to say very perfectly. So, um, I'm wondering um, if we could transition a little bit. And, Juan, can you explain, like, what exactly a communication specialist is?
0: Sure. So, um, and it's so funny you say that because I feel like every time I do a a show or an event, someone's like, oh, my God, you practice, you're trained. And I'm like, it's a gift. Yes, I do prepare. Yes, I do prepare. But (laughs) it is a gift and it's a passion and I am experienced. So, um, a communication specialist is pretty much someone who helps you to use techniques, strategies, and tools that will help you communicate more effectively with yourself and other people. So you have intrapersonal connection, communication, I'm sorry, where you're communicating with yourself, where you may have feelings of imposter syndrome, where you feel like, oh, my God, I'm, I'm afraid of doing something. Or I don't want to step out because I'm afraid of the backlash or perfectionism or you are struggling to focus, or feel you feel distracted, you have time management challenges. All of these things fall into the emotional intelligence aspect of communication with self, decision-making. Maybe you're procrastinating on making a decision. Um, so people tend to come to me when they want to help, when they want help with communicating with themselves better, you know, building confidence, And know, getting getting connected and understanding their purpose or their next step, things like that. And then communicating with other people, which are also different techniques and strategies. So typically people will say, I want to get better at public speaking. I want to have more executive presence. I want to network more effectively. I want to use my voice in a powerful way to be seen as a thought leader so those are, those are the aspects of the external communications with individuals, and they both go hand in hand. So communication specialists really just helps you to have techniques and strategies that, that tap into those areas of yourself so that you can have a better connection and relationship uh, with others at home and at work.
1: Nice. So when did you realize that this is something that you want to do? <laughs>
0: I started speaking at the age of eight. But I always say age of three because with my my dolls and my stuffed animals, I was teaching. They were always in class, and I had to put them in class. <laughs> but <laughs> but really, speaking at the age of eight in front of people, like you know, a hundred or more, um, that's that's it's a gift. So that's why I always say for parents to really expose your children to the things that you see that they're gravitating towards and see if it's if it's just a curiosity or a gift. But it it, it is a gift for me. So I, I did a lot of performing arts presentations at church facilitating at church and then i went off to study communications i was supposed to be a broadcast journalist walter I was supposed to be covering the news, getting investigative reports, finding out all the things that people are hiding, you know, and I think that's the curiosity that comes with what I do because I don't look at just the surface level. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah that looked good. That stays really nice. I, I always go beneath the surface. What is the true story? What's the story here? What? You're telling me one thing, that's fine. But I'm looking at your body language. I'm looking at your eyes. I'm looking at the way you breathe. I'm looking at the way you roll your eyes, man. You're talking about certain things. You know, like what's the real story here? So I feel like the communications path was sort of embedded in me. I wanted to be on TV. I wanted to be an actress. Um, I did a short, 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 short stint as a journalist, and the, the short stint that I did, I was uncovering stories like illegal taxi hacking, which was way before Uber, you know, it was like people just going to <laughs> going and do taxi driving. And then, you know, like, I was uncovering, a, I remember I was uncovering a story about a physician who a patient in his care, a mental health patient in his care was released and ended up committing suicide. And, I was going after that story, like, okay, like, why did this happen? Like, what were you thinking? And, you know, things like that, just going after the, um, the the government stories in that short, short period. So for me, I feel like I lost that focus along the way of life. I lost that path and it was not a straight line for me. And I didn't find a job in journalism. I didn't find a job in marketing and PR. The other degrees that I had, whatever the, the they were offering me in journalism, I was like, "Who? Oh, you crazy? I went to school for this. I have student loans for this. And you want to pay me what? Fifteen thousand dollars a year? What? No, I could have. I could have not even gone to school. But the truth is, people in the media don't make a lot of money, especially if you're in your low in a, in a low market, and uh, only if you're. You know, you have some fame and notoriety, those things will be rewarding, but that's not really the case. You, you you gain in popularity, but you don't really gain financially. So I started just doing what I needed to do and working where I needed to work in order to begin my career path. But when I relocated from California to Atlanta and I came across this women's empowerment group, Women Aspiring Together to Succeed, called Watts. I was introduced to a new way of goal setting, which was vision boarding. And actually, that's when I put my locks on my, on, on my vision board. And it just kind of helped me connect, reconnect to the whole desires that were within me. And I started freelancing in everything under the sun communications, everything. Um, but I learned from that that there's some things I didn't like. I learned you know what i did like to do but where i am today i would say it's it's definitely been a journey it's not been a straight line but i have had a lot of lessons where i had to kind of you know learn and pivot learn and pivot and and i'm just really grateful and blessed to be able to do what i love
1: Mm.
0: and and it's my gift
1: that is a blessing Hey, I want to take a quick break to tell you about a Facebook group we've put together called Working While Black. It's the number one group for black professionals, creatives, entrepreneurs, and people in the workforce to connect, learn, and support each other's growth. It's an extension of this very podcast and will be a place to dive deeper into topics discussed on this show, as well as having the opportunity to participate in a live Working While Black series that addresses the Black experience in the workplace. Now, if you're feeling this, then you'll want to join immediately because we're naming the first 50 people to join as the founding members who will get special privileges as the group grows. Now You can join today by searching for Boss Locks Working While Black and also to just make it real easy on you, if you click the link in the description, it'll take you to our site. We can learn about our guests and everything that they're doing, but also you'll see really easy instruction on how to join the group. I'm talking about like a click of a button and boom, like you're there. So, you know, it, it's free, it's easy, and it's built to support black growth. So join today and I'm looking forward to see you there. Now, thank you very much for listening. And now back to our show. That's pretty. That's a very interesting journey. I love it. A lot of lessons learned there. Um, do you remember what else was on your vision board besides locks?
0: Oh my gosh! So I had definitely um, I had two two guys <laughs> with locks. They were two brothers, and it was it was like um, there was a phrase under there that said "messages in the music." Don't oh. let your don't let your voice um, let not let not the silence be unbroken. Actually, I have to find it for you because I still have it. It was two guys, two brothers. Let not the silence be unbroken. Then I had a, a definitely like a, a wellness section on my board where I was in the islands on the cabana, and um, it talked about you know your your savings and retirement. And then um, I had a bed and breakfast on the other side there, I had a very lush garden with a um, water fountain like, you know, garden filled with beautiful flowers and water fountain in the middle Um, I had quality versus quantity just words right there Mm. I had should you stay or should you go, which was at that time I was in my corporate role and I was like, "Uh." so it was speaking out to me, it was speaking to me um, yeah, those are some of the things that I remember very vivid, vividly on that first board, in addition to my, my locks. So, and then three months later, after that board, I started my lock journey. So,
1: yeah. Right. That's pretty cool. I remember, um, before when we spoke, you were talking about some of um, the, what kind of built up to starting your lock journey. So, um, can you share a little bit about what inspired you to put it on the vision board?
0: Oh, well, I don't even remember what we said, but I do know that before then, I used to look at a lot of people with their locks and just be in awe and admiration. Like, you know, I really want to do that. I really want to do that. Um, but if I take it all the way back, I do believe that, you know, when I was when I was in high school, I had a boyfriend who was a Rasta. Did I tell you this? hmm Yeah. Okay. I had a boyfriend who was a Rastafarian and, you know, the Rastafarians believe in everything beautiful, everything black, everything is black is beautiful. And they, I mean, him and his friends, they would always be affirming and edifying me with, you know, just Empress and Daughter and this and all of that stuff. And I just felt like when I, when I read Bob Marley's story and I really connected to his music and then I saw like Lauren Hill, and I saw how, how she was just um, brave, using her voice and expressing herself, her true self. I just felt like, wow, this is this is a symbol or a sign or element of of strength. And so for me, the the love journey very much was not a fashion statement at all. It was it was sort of a journey to self, a connection to self, and. Ever since I did it, I just felt, I don't know, I felt, I felt strong. There's so much, there's so much power and identity that goes into our hair. And for me, that journey was, it was, it was a really, it was like, I'm coming out, guys, I'm coming out, coming out with the gates, coming out with everything swinging, It's it's now or never. (laughs) I think you're afraid to do it because you don't know how you're going to be received. And you hear everybody around you saying you shouldn't do that or that's not professional. Nobody's going to hire you. But they've just been so conditioned with internalized oppression that when they see someone else trying to speak out and express that authentic self, it creates this. instinctive reaction to try and want to protect, but it's really protecting out of fear. So,
1: yeah. Yeah. I love that. Yeah. I always look at that. Like a lot of the things that we're kind of taught not to do is really just our fears kind of projecting onto others. And while that's understandable, we definitely have to start acknowledging it more and speak on it. Um And you mentioned one thing that people will say, like, you know, it's not professional and, one of our main uh, missions with Boss Ox is to redefine professionalism, just uh, the term and the perspective around it, because the actual definition has really nothing to do with how a lot of people see it. So um, I'm wondering, in your own perspective, and in your own words, um, how do you define professionalism?
0: Okay. But can I ask you a question?
1: Mm-hmm.
0: What is it defined as?
1: Defined as? I'm actually not going to paraphrase. I'm going to look it up and give you the exact definition.
0: <laughs> so while while you're looking for that, I'll just tell you what I think it it professional means. Because before, I actually I actually had to sit and think about that question. I was like, hmm, what is what is professional? Because people tend to use it as a cover up for so many different things. Like, and it can mean different things to different people. But to me, when I sat down and really thought about what that meant for me, I felt like professional means that. You honor your word, number one. Like if you say you're going to do something, you're going to do it. And if you're not able to do it, you're going to say, I can't do it. Or you give people heads up ahead of time and you treat people the way that you want to be treated. You have respect for where you are in terms of, you know, your work ethic and your commitment, your commitment to yourself and your commitment to the things that you promise or say and definitely, I think professionalism includes a lot of uh, communication skills. So you got to understand the environments that you're in. You have to understand the cultures that you're around and be able to navigate, be able to navigate successfully. It's not about, okay, this is me, this is where I am and everybody needs to bow to me because that's it. No, you need to figure out where you are because if you are in a different country, and they speak a different language, you're not going to say, I speak English. You're going to find out what you need to say so you can connect and move the communication forward. So I think there is a uh, fine line between the professionalism word and and what people think and see and feel. So that's my viewpoint.
1: I love it. Yeah. And to um, read off from Merriam-Webster say uh, the definition of professionalism is the conduct, aims, or qualities that characterize or mark a profession or a professional person. And um, the second one is the following of a profession. So, yeah, but um, I think oftentimes we, when people say professionalism and professional, especially in like the workplace, they talk about how you look, how you dress, exactly how your hair is in schools as well. You know, it's all these um People hear about getting suspended in America and also Jamaica for having locks and having them pass like their ears. It's um,
0: so nonsense. They
1: always lean back. They always use the word professional and what they perceive it to mean as their excuse and support to continue these like discriminatory, uh, discriminatory practices. So, mm-hmm. yeah, yeah. Mhm. Loved your answer. Um. So you start, when you started your lot, were you, did you already have natural hair?
0: Yeah, mm-hmm. I had natural hair. I, I've been natural pretty much 90% of the time in my life. So I I would have like braids or twists or or I would put some weave in there. Uh, when I was in high school, I would go to the salon and get, get some weave in there. But um, when I was, remember how old I was when we were pressing or or using perm to relax my hair but I remember I wanted my hair to be longer especially like my cousin's hair and my hair would never grow be past I mean I would perm it wait till all the new growth come out perm it and I'd be like my hair is here, right to my neck. You know, I just, I just wanted it to hit my shoulders. For once, I wanted it to hit my shoulders so I could have that long hair too. And it never happened when I, when I it. But I will tell you, when I started to lock my hair, my goodness. It was like my hair had a life of its own. It just took off. It was like, we racing to the bottom, we racing. And I mean, it just went. I never imagined that I would have hair down to my bottom. I cut my hair, it just grew so long, and it was just so beautiful. So with it being locked, I guess in in natural form and growing the way it is, it just it just grows. I, I don't have to worry about it growing. It just grows.
1: That's true. It really does just grow. I think sometimes, like, sometimes you don't even notice. I know, like, I look at pictures of myself. And I'm like, oh, that that's like my hair? Damn, it's pretty long. Okay. Yeah. <laughs> what other people are saying. I'm like, usually people come up like, oh, okay, that's cool. Okay, you think that. But then I actually see him like, oh, wow, I see what you're talking about.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
1: That's cool. I've been so, tempted
0: to cut it, you
1: know. Yeah. Oh, you say what?
0: I said I've been tempted to cut it, too.
1: Oh, yeah, cut it all off. Yeah. Yeah. And start all over. But I don't know. I'm a little nervous. Yeah. It's always it's always hard, especially after you had it for so years. It's like you start just you and your locks just become one.
0: So, yes.
1: Uh, mm-hmm. All right. Cool. So um, when you started your lock journey, were you already in the corporate environment? Or no, you mm-hmm. were actually because on the vision board it's like <laughs> leave. Um, yeah. What was it like? having natural hair, and then also starting your lock journey while in these corporate environments?
0: So there was a lady who was in the workplace where I was who had locks already, and I used to admire her hair all the time. And I would say, oh, I wish I want to start but you know, I'm working here. And she's like, I'm working here too. <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, that's right. And so she kind of encouraged me, she's like, Here's my stylist number. Here's my style. You can start with twists. You can start with twists or whatever have you. And so I, I took it and I went and I started and I felt like, you know, this is going to be an interesting process. Um, and it was, uh, I just had to wait for it to to lock on its own and start, you know, doing what it would normally do. But uh, people people would say, Oh, you shouldn't do that, you know, you shouldn't you shouldn't lock your hair. It's not like it looked nasty or anything. The, the twist, it just looked it looked great to me. Um, but I remember one time one of the managers, he was from South Africa and he said, You know, sometimes you just have to conform. He said, you know, his son had locks all the way down to, you know, his back and he went to go for a job and He had to cut it all off so he can get a job. I said, "Well, that—that's your son. That's not me." And that was it. You know, so that was it.
1: I love that. I'm glad you didn't conform, because um, I mean, sometimes I guess in your situation, like I'll never tell someone how what they should do with their hair, but sometimes it may be the right situation for you, or maybe you're just not attached to the hair in that way, so it's no problem. But I always feel like if You don't want to cut it. You definitely shouldn't have to. Yeah, that was your son. That wasn't you.
0: Yeah, yeah. I mean, people people would say the same. They're they're um make their comments and things like that. But I guess that's the point where you get to have the resolve within yourself. Like this is what I'm doing. I tell you, like I hadn't done it for a long time. I was thinking about it, dreaming about it, but it was something about seeing that in the visual form of the visualization on the vision board and being in community with the women, talking about this was something that I wanted to do and try and explore and being affirmed and supported with whatever goal and desire I had within myself. I think those things played a part of it. And then just having that lady at the job say, hey, I'm doing it. Like, here's my stylist.
1: So... amazing! Shout out to her. That's wonderful. That's part of what I... um, This existed was an opportunity to show that other people, like these people do exist in these environments. Like hair discrimination is a real thing. So you might experience it. But at the same time, here are some people who are thriving.
0: It is real. I mean, maybe I may have missed out on some opportunities to advance there because of it. Probably. Who knows for sure? Probably. But I still look back at everything and I think it all works out the way it's supposed to. So I don't have any regrets with my hair. Um, I've had a lot of opportunities with my hair. So I'm still doing what I love.
1: Wonderful. So um, what's And you already kind of touched on it a bit, but um, what's one thing that you would recommend to somebody who is thinking about starting logs or thinking about going natural, but it's having some um, concern or it's um, just uncomfortable with actually jumping for the, for the natural hair journey.
0: What? You know what I'm going to say. Do it. <laughs> do it. Do it. Do it. What you waiting for? Do it, do it. Do it. Do it. Just do it. I mean, what's the worst that could happen? Seriously. You could change it. What's the worst that could happen? But if you feel like going, I I interviewed someone yesterday and she talked about, you know, having the hair, uh, wanting wanting to have natural hair. And, you know, years later, she just looked in the mirror one day and she was just like, you know what, I'm done with this. And she went to the hair salon, chopped everything off and started fresh, just started fresh. And that was the beginning of her embracing herself. And from that self-love, self-embrace, uh, embracing gesture or action, now she started advocating for other people, connecting with other people and seeing, th- seeing things differently. There's so much interconnection between our identity, how we see ourselves and how we connect with other people. So I would say if you are on the fence, get off the fence, jump and just, you know, take that action and a step because there's never going to be a right time uh, or a perfect time to do it. And the, the truth is, you can always change. You know, it's not permanent. You can change if you don't like it.
1: That's true. That's very true. Um, so I just took a look at my notes, and there was something I wrote down that you mentioned um, earlier on in the episode I wanted to touch on before we um, moved on. But um, you mentioned that you had to do a lot of like radical pruning during this uh, year. Can you um, touch on like how... Like, what is does that, pro- so what does it mean to you to do radical pruning?
0: Um, so one of the things I would say is I would de- definitely just take a look at my interactions. So tell you people, places, things, projects. I would just look at those categories. I'd take my phone. I would take my my WhatsApp. I would look at groups that I was already in. Is this group um, Giving me life, am I giving it life? Can I um, can I give it life in the future? Is it is it pouring in or is it draining? How do I feel energetically with this? And if it was not, I would just remove myself from the group, remove myself from the WhatsApps, remove whatever. I look through my my text messages. Who am I connecting with? Who am I interacting with? And just remove, just remove them, just remove them. I look at my emails. I, you know, this is where you're getting into that whole history. As well, right? So we talked a little bit about the whole history and understanding your past, so you can make better decisions in the future. The same thing applies. So you look at your oh, wait, I'm interactions sorry.
1: I want to and engage. Stop you really quick. Um, the internet just kind of went out, so I'm sorry I have missed like a good chunk of what you said. Um, so <laughs> if you don't mind going back, can you um, explain like what exactly does a radical pruning mean to you?
0: Oh, fantastic! Absolutely. So. When I say that, I just look at the people, places, the projects, the things that I'm involved in, and I look at my phone, my phone contact list, my messages, my WhatsApp groups, my online groups, memberships that I have, in like in-person memberships that I have, uh, emails, emails. Um, different projects and and I look and I say you know is this affirming to me can I can I give life to this group am I giving life to this group is it giving me life do I feel excited or do I feel stressed or obligated or um, drained and if I'm not giving life if it's not giving me life or if there's nowhere in the future that I see that life exchange or that energy exchange happening just remove myself from those groups. I cancel those memberships or subscriptions. Um, just you know, get that energy out of my my environment. I remember there was one WhatsApp group that I was in, and I was just in it because I felt like uh, you know it's kind of obligation, um, and I wasn't really active in the group. Every every so often, the group would chime and go off or whatever you, but I wasn't really active in the group. But I tell you, when I made that decision and I left said what I need to say and I left and exited the group, it was like a giant weight just lifted because everything is energy and you have your phone. You have no idea how much energy you are carrying in your phone. So, you know, just removing yourself from those things that you're not giving life to or that are unable to give you life right now in the moment people, projects, places, things, you can free yourself up energetically and you can actually recapture um, energy that you can use and channel it toward something else. So that's that's one of the things that I would suggest. That's one of the ways that I approach a radical pruning.
1: I love that. And I know I definitely probably see like a random to jump all the way back there, but I was thinking about which is about radical pruning and which said just now and just everything you mentioned throughout your life so being um, created on that vision board. Like you wanted to have locks, you wanted to leave that corporate environment, even though people were saying oh, either like don't leave or you don't want to start your lock journey. Um, just everything you're saying about communicating, um, connecting to different places in Africa, like all these different things. Sometimes you have to look, sit down and do some real radical pruning and all the advice you're getting from outside about natural hair, your personal life, your professional um, your or your career journey just all of that really takes a lot of radical pruning to make sure you're staying true to what you want to do and are also unlearning all that negativity in the past so i wanted to go back and touch on that and loved everything you said that's some very good practical advice like from your phone the different groups you're in because you're right like different like whatsapp uh, group chats facebook groups that is it, it can be draining if you're not in the right place for it so thank you very much for touching on that you're welcome all right now um one other question i had about your hair and your perspective on it um do you consider your locks a hairstyle or a lifestyle
0: a lifestyle definitely (laughs) this ain't no fashion statement (laughs) a lifestyle it's part of me so but again you know I, i feel like my locks are My youngest son, he has only seen me with locks. So he doesn't know what I look like without locks. You know, um, it's it's a part of who I am, but I'm not, I don't feel like I'm married to it. I know that if I do cut it, I will feel some loss. I will feel like, oh my gosh, I think the first time I cut it, I cried. (laughs) (laughs) I cried. But, you know, it's, it's it's hair. It's an extension of who we are, and um, you you know this. You can learn a lot about yourself from your hair, about what's what's going on inside you from your hair.
1: So, very true. Oh yeah, this. Like, I like to tell people like everything I do professionally, um, my personal growth and my natural hair growth is all connected. I mean, this very po- podcast came from me trying to figure out how I could. Continue to grow my hair and advance in my career, even just get a job interview without having to cut. So it is all intertwined together, and it's definitely been a journey of growth and learning. Um, so yeah, you definitely on. It doesn't stop if you cut it.
0: Sure. Exactly, like like India Ari said, I am not my hair. Right.
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah.
0: I am not the
1: skin. Mm-hmm. Should be someone interesting to have on the show, but um, mm-hmm. yeah all right well monique you've given us a lot um my notebook is full and we definitely have to have like a master class with you hosting it one day just a communication specialist because just that internal side i think we always want that external and be able to um be like a master public speaker but from what you said i'm understanding that that doesn't happen without doing that internal work so thank you very much for sharing all of that i think we have a lot to learn but um before we go, is there anything that you wanted to touch on or speak to?
0: No, I'm just encouraging your audience if they are on the fence to just do it. You know, um, it's never a right time, never a good time. and you know there's there's something out there for you. If you are facing closed doors or rejection or backlash because of your hair know that there is something out there for you. So just have that in your mind so that you don't feel like, oh, I'm just losing everywhere. You're already winning. You're winning with self first. And that's the first race you have to win. Everything else is just extra.
1: Oh, love that. Winning with self. Nice. Well, and, um, how can everyone find you? You can
0: find me online at Claire solutions.com. Or on my social media platforms, LinkedIn Clear Communication Coach, Monique Russell, Facebook Clear Communication Coach, Instagram Clear Communication Coach, just anywhere clear communication coach. Just Google <laughs> Monique Claire Communication Coach. I'll come up on Google.
1: You definitely will, yeah. And I love following you on LinkedIn too. You have all these different like uh, lessons and events coming up. I'm excited to continue to follow everything.
0: Thank you so much. Yeah. It's, it's been a pleasure. I just want money in the bank. Have no time for them. We just pray and say amen. Been
1: a boy since way back when. I just had money in the bank. That is a wrap. Thank you so much for listening to today's episode. It's Boss Locks, where we are redefining professionalism and proving that natural hair and professionalism do coexist. Now, if you like today's episode and want to learn more about our guests, go ahead and visit www.bosslocks.org. You could also click the link in the description. I'll take you right to the episode page where you can see all the different links and places to learn and connect with our guests. And while you're there, make sure you subscribe to our newsletter, which is the best place to get direct messages from me to you and we'll always continue to announce things through this podcast but you'll be able to get more information about everything happening outside of the podcast once again thank you for listening my name is walt and i will see you next
0: time David told me talk I William I just want I want other Williams not Serena I'm talking about a skinny one but a skinny one money in the bank money in the bank I just want money in the bank money in the bank I just want money in the bank money in the bank I just want money in the bank I just want